Good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we walk through a series on prayer, we arrive today at addressing the difficulty of continuing to pray even when we fail to receive the answer that we're looking for from God. We will see how persistence in prayer reveals our faith not in the request, but rather our faith in the one we are asking. Thanks for listening. It was a few months back that uh, we got one of those cellular hotspots for the church office so that you know we could get internet. Uh, anybody have those at their, their homes? They still don't get cable coming out to your place. So you got to get one of these hotspots. Well, we got ours with Verizon, and um, there was a little trouble in setting it up. So uh, guess what you got to do? You got to dial up customer service and uh, stay on the phone until they get it straightened out. Now, the lady on the other end of this call was ex- extremely patient and uh, worked through the problem as I began to describe it to her, but she kept running into more and more trouble. And uh, pretty soon a 10-minute call turned into a 20-minute call, turned into a 48-minute call on hold. And uh, back and forth with custom- customer support. She must have told me uh, a dozen times, sir, I apologize for the way. And she was very, very friendly. But you know, who else am I going to call, really? Right? If, if there's a problem with the Verizon unit, am I going to call AT&T? Am I going to call Sprint? Right? No, I'm, I'm going to call the, uh, the maker of this unit. Right? I'm going to call the designer of this unit. If, there, if there's a problem with uh, the Verizon one, I have to call the one that made, that created, that designed the Verizon. I think it's called a jetpack or a, a hotspot. Right? Yeah. Sometimes those calls take a while. The same is true in the Christian life. And when we face things, God wants you to dial his number and to call him and to pray to him and to talk to him. The problem is that we don't necessarily like it when his answer doesn't meet our timetable. Because look, I got places to go and people to see. And if I'm not hearing an answer to uh, my prayers, you know, I might, you know, just take my business somewhere else. Or some of us feel like we need to call the Better Business Bureau on God. He's taking too long here. I need an answer. And I thought about that this week. I was, uh, <laughs> I was eating one of these. Who, who, who likes strawberries? Come on, show of hands. Who likes strawberries? Uh, my, my wife picked these up. And, uh, you know, in, in the middle of winter, they're not quite as good as they are in spring and summer. But they're still pretty awesome. Because guess what you're doing? You're eating a strawberry in winter. Right? That's, that's incredible. And here I am eating one of these strawberries, and I think, you know something? I really take this sort of thing for granted. That if I was a king back in uh, ancient times, I would be the only one that could get my hands on something like this. But guess what? Today, all of us can do this. Think about how rich we are as a nation. That we can eat strawberries in the middle of winter. You, you got you to gotta get these things imported in from somewhere. But look here, when I want something, I want it when? I want it now. And we have been conformed. We have been trained by a culture that works to day and night, all the energy compounded to serving our desires so that we as a society can get whatever we want right away. Instant what? Instant gratification. And I want it and I want it now. And you know what? If I can't get it here, I'll take my business elsewhere. And this is, I call it the strawberry syndrome with Christianity, right? It's a problem. 
And this, the problem turns into that we begin to think of God in the same fashion. We, be, we begin to think of God as another service to which we need to you know, receive what, uh, what we're asking for in, in a timely manner. And we forget that God actually has a work that he's trying to accomplish in our hearts. I'm, I'm calling this sermon uh, the perseverance of prayer. If you're doing the 40 days challenge, if you're doing the grace excursion to take 40 days of committed prayer on a single subject, guess what? This is the time it gets hard. This is the time in that scope of 40 days when people normally give up. And if that's you, get started again. It's never too late to pick up the phone again and start calling the manufacturer who made you, right? And, and sometimes maybe to wait on hold. But what we need to understand is that the calling out to God isn't only such that we would have an answer to our prayer, but it is for the building of our faith. And the world that we live in has systematically changed our minds to think we need our answers quickly. What that does is it turns God into a kind of a, a magic genie. You guys have seen the oil lamps, right? You rub the lamp and the genie comes out and you get three wishes. And that's not how it works with God. 40 days of prayer is not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wish for this. I'm going to ask God for this special imaginary thing because God's a sort of genie. And that way of thinking is a distortion. It comes from our world. I found this online. I thought I'd share it with you. Five ways to tell if you're treating God like a genie. Number one, your focus is on your prayers and not on the one who answers them. Guilty. Like I've been there. Uh, thinking that I, I, I'm so focused on what I really want I forget the one I'm asking. I forget who it is that I'm going to. Number two, uh, life appears to be too much to handle. Uh, that might get a resounding amen from all of us. Have you seen the prayer list on the back of the bulletin? Right? Yeah, life can be a little overwhelming sometimes. Uh, what this really means is that you end up placing your needs ahead of God. Because you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to hand those over to him. He doesn't want you to carry your burdens. God doesn't want you to continue to weigh these things down. But see, we think he's a, gen a genie. So we're asking for all these things that we desire from a genie. And we forget to lay our burdens before God. When you forget to do that, you make life overwhelming for you. God has become a genie. Number three, when hard times strike, the Bible remains unopened. Now you're just calling on God to sort of... Get you what you want when you want it. But when hard times strike, you know what? He's not around and I'm not going to call him. And you're refusing to go to the manual. You're refusing to go to the love letter. You're refusing to go to the source of truth. And if that's you in your life, you might take heart to think, I, I might be guilty of treating God like a genie. Number four is this. Uh, your prayers are filled with more wants or needs and less uh, change my heart. Oh, God. Uh, the, the problem with the Pharisees in their day uh, was they thought they were really squeaky clean on the outside. And they looked it. They looked clean. But they were filthy on the inside. Jesus calls them a whitewashed tombs. And just imagine that metaphor like, look at that beautiful tomb. Excuse me, do you know what's inside? Nothing good is inside. And I... Fear that we are afraid. I, I, I suspect that we are afraid to really look at the root problem for what we need to pray about. It's the dark heart that we all come into this world with. The darkened, selfish heart that we continue to carry because of sin in this life. The heart that God is continuing to change 
continuing to woo back to himself. This heart that has been moved out of darkness into light, but we still have a few areas we want to keep dark. We need to pray, God, change my heart. Any amens on that? Anybody here working on that? I, I, I know that's the problem. Uh, one of the reasons I'm asking for things that I, I want instead of praying for things I ought to is because they're coming from a wicked heart. Right? And out of uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and my heart is decept- deceitful above all. Uh, I need to make sure that my prayer life is filled with paying attention to God working on the inside. And number five is this. Everything else takes precedent over your spiritual life. Uh, I'm not sure if that's helpful for you. It was helpful for me. I thought I'd share it with you because the real danger of living in a strawberry syndrome world is thinking that we are due something from God. I'm owed something from God. And why is this taking so long? We need to understand that there must be a perseverance in prayer. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Luke, chapter 18. As we look through a story and kind of build the context around it, we're going to find out that there are three points that I'm going to try to bring out for us to take home from this story that Jesus is going to share, this parable. You guys know what perseverance means? This is, this is what the coach used to tell you, right? Hey, Perseverance wins the game, right? Don't give up. You've got to have stamina. You can't quit. And the same is true in your prayer life. But there is a major misunderstanding as to why. And that's what we're going to try to clear up. All right? So, uh, everybody with me? Luke chapter 18. Helen, where are we? 1628. Luke chapter 18. Uh, Let's read the first uh, eight verses. Follow along with me. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. How would you like to have that guy working uh, behind the bench, right? I don't fear God. I don't care about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Pretty simple, right? The, this, the scales of justice are not balanced for this widow. So who does she go to? The judge. A, a sim- simple request. In fact, you can wrap it up in a single word, right? Justice. That's what she's chasing after, justice. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, married couples, don't pay too close attention to this, right? Uh, That'll that'll drive you apart, right? You've got to compromise, work together. But did you see the, 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 the strategy here of this lady? If I just keep coming eventually, if I just keep, if I just keep nagging this guy, eventually, and it worked. Look what he says. I don't care about people, but I just got to get rid of this lady. Right? You can imagine him at his, uh, his desk. Right? Uh, Sally, what's my next appointment? Oh, it's Widow Jones again. Oh, again. When am I ever going to get rid of this gal? Right? What, what is it that you want? Just what do I need to get rid of you? Right? That's the story Jesus tells. Now, we've got to make sure we don't misunderstand this, right? Verse 6. 
And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Do you see the, the contrast here? Not, not widows, not people who are come to him, but people who he has chosen. Who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Verse 8 is really uh, the most important one of this to make sense of this story, make sense of this parable. But before we even uh, kind of nail down to verse 8, we've got to get our bearings in the context right here, right? Because context is everything. Uh, I want you to notice uh, chapter 17 is where this begins. And if you notice, the first word in verse 18 is what? Then, right? So we're, we're picking up something in the story. If you back up with me in chapter 17, you'll see something that's repeated in Matthew's gospel. Uh, in verse 20, my heading says the coming of what? You have it? The coming of the kingdom of God. All right, so this is the subject that Jesus has been teaching about. Right? That his kingdom is going to come. His way of doing things is going to arrive. And the question is, are you going to be ready? Right? Or are you going to be participating in uh, the kingdom of the world? A different way of doing things. Uh, Jesus starts in verse 20. Uh, he's talking to the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. We're going to come back to that idea a little later. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will no longer see one of these days of the son of man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you there he is or here he is. Do not go running after them. Verse 24. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning. Do you guys ever miss lightning? Or do you see it? Lightning is kind of hard to miss. You guys get the point, right? You don't miss lightning, right? You sit in this dark out and then flash. What comes after the flash? Boom, right? And the brighter the flash, the bigger the boom, right? Uh, Jesus says, this is what his returning will be like. So if someone says, hey, here he is, or there he is, and you're like, whoa, nobody told me. I never knew. Don't worry about it. You're going to know. You will know when he returns. It's like the lightning with flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He continues on telling this story of how the times will be similar to that of Noah. And that there will be great persecution. And there will be terrible times that arrive. And these are signs. These are ways to which you will know. Guess what? The, king, the kingdom of God, it's, it's breaking into this world. It's closer than it was before. It's getting nearer. Down at the very end, he gives the example of uh, two people, verse 35, two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, he replied, where there is a dead body, there vultures will gather. There's this idea that uh, you're you're taken away in judgment. And and what what are the kind of people that are taken away in judgment? Well, guess what? That's where you're going to find vultures. 
around carcasses, around dead things, around the judgment of God. When Jesus tells this story, you almost instantly think that the people hearing them think, well, what are we, we going to do? Right? This sounds like something that's really uh, coming towards us. Seems like you should help us with something to do, which brings us into chapter 18, where Jesus' first initial response to the king, the coming of the kingdom of God is prayer, and a certain kind of prayer, the kind that doesn't give up. You notice this? In fact, he tells us at the beginning in chapter 18, verse 1, he tells us the purpose of the parable, right? Jesus told the disciples a parable for what reason? To show them that they should always pray and never give up. Now, for that, for that much, pretty much everybody's okay. The problem comes as we try to answer the question, why, to that sentence, right? You should always pray and you should never give up why and the answer tends to be so that God will answer your prayers and that's wrong and a surface reading without really studying this might make you think well isn't that the purpose of the story and I said you're missing verse 8 because the reason why we don't quit praying isn't so God answers our prayers the reason why we don't quit praying is because it reveals where our faith is that's why you don't quit praying. Look, if I got to stay on hold with Verizon for 60 more minutes, who else am I going to call? They are the makers. I call it Sprint, and Sprint's be like, uh, you got to call it Verizon, right? Because we didn't make that. Uh, let me try T Mobile. Right? Uh, you got to call Verizon, right? You got to call the maker, and it doesn't matter the time length on it. It's almost like if, uh, if your child asks you for something crazy, like, hey, Dad, we should have tacos for breakfast. <laughs> and you just think, well, we're not going to do that. And then your kid goes and asks the other parent, has that ever happened to somebody, right? They, they don't get with from one, so they go to the next. <clears throat> That's the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. Because when you pray to God and you have a need, first of all, understand He knows your needs. That was our verse from Hebrews 4 that Lois read. He is fully acquainted with what you face, having gone through what you go through. So He knows what you need. But the major problem of this is that we tend to think like God would think the way I think. And uh, my prayers are basically filled with wanting to make this world around me a better place. And if that was God's only plan, He'd answer the prayer request right away. But that's not His only plan. God is wanting to reform your heart. But we don't see the need. We don't recognize it the way God sees it. They got these, uh, I don't know if it's Febreze or Glade plug-in commercials, but maybe you've seen them where the, the mom walks into the teenager's bedroom and is like, whoo you've got guests coming over. This stinks in here. And the teenager's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't smell. Why, why doesn't he smell it? Because he's been, he's been in it. He doesn't recognize the need. Or the one where the mom's driving the car full of the sweaty football players, right? Yeah, you, you think it smells like this, but your guests smell, right? Smells like a dumpster. Um, guys, that's what our hearts are like. 
The reason why your prayers don't get answered in the time that you think is because God will use the circumstances of life to work on your heart. He's not just interested in changing the world around you. He's interested in changing you. And sometimes that means he's got to re reveal the stench. Sometimes he has to reveal the, uh, that which you have gone spiritually nose blind to in your life. And that's why the time waits. The reason why Jesus tells you, look, you, you don't need to give up on praying. You need to keep praying. Don't ever give up on praying. Isn't because if you just wait God out long enough, your prayers will get answered. That's not the reason. And that's usually the first thing we think. Just keep praying and eventually I'm going to wear God down. And do you know something? There are churches across the U.S. and across the world today that teach that. And that's wrong. What they do is they'll say something like, if your prayers aren't being answered, if you're not getting your promotion, if your body is still in illness, it's because you're not expressing enough faith. And I'm going to say, time out. Wait, faith in what? Faith in your faith. That's what they're teaching. And that's not what Jesus wants you to know. Look at verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How long are you going to stay on hold with God? Because you know what it will do? It will reveal where your faith is. And that's the issue. That's what matters more than anything. If we knew like God knows as to why we face what we face, we'd probably be cool with it. But we don't know. He does. And he has a purpose for which you are facing whatever it is that you're facing. The reason why he encourages you not to give up on prayer isn't so that you will wear him down like the unjust judge. Because God's so much better than that. The reason why he says don't give up on praying is because it will reveal where your faith is. We need more Christians like that. Now I've I got to share with you a story where we see this more than anywhere. It's in the book of Hebrews. So turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, let's see, a little Bible quiz this morning since we missed Bible study two weeks in a row. Uh, what chapter in the book of Hebrews is, has the most faith in it? Shout it out. 11. Hebrews 11. So that's where I want you to turn. Hebrews 11. Uh, remember, verse 8 was saying, and this is the main question Jesus is trying to answer. Will I find faith on the earth when I return? Will I find faith in Segola and Channing and Iron Mountain and Crystal Falls and Felch? On the day of the kingdom of God coming in. Will I find faith? Well, Hebrews 11 is going to help us with this. So, uh, homework, read the whole chapter. Uh, but just for today, I want you to look at verse 32. <coughs> verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell, tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies. Women received back the dead, raised the life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Uh, 
Does it sound like persecution? Does it sound like hard times? Does it sound like the same thing Jesus was just kind of talking about in chapter 17 as he leads into prayer? And if you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, you know that it goes all the way back to Noah and Abraham and Moses. I mean, we're talking about the, we're talking about the main guys from the Old Testament, right? And ladies, by the way, are in here as well. All right, back in verse, uh, where was that? 37? 37. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Now, verse 39. Pay attention to this. They were all commended for their what? That's what Jesus is looking for. They were commended for their faith, yet not... Yet none of them, not one of them, received what had been promised. Did you see that? They were all commended for their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Look, if I take my truck to the mechanic, I'm going to make sure I get fixed what I asked him to fix, right? If I don't, I'm going to go make a stink. Hey, excuse me. If I go to the dentist to fix the, fix the toothache, right, and it's not fixed, I'm going to go back and say, hey, what gives? If I go anywhere in this world and don't receive what I expect, I'm going to make noise about it. But you know what? It doesn't work like that with God. Because it's not just about fixing what's on the outside. It's about what's revealing in our hearts as well. And finding faith means that we continue to pray. We continue to go before God because that will reveal where our faith lies, whether or not we get the answer that we want. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for this. I put some verses up here so that you can see that this is a pattern throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 22, actually referenced in also Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1 and 2, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. <laughs> here is your multiple choice quiz. Number one. Is that the test? Look at this test. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. That doesn't sound at all like what Abraham was hoping for. What's it say? God was testing him. Well, Pastor Ryan, I, I just don't believe that God is a God that would do that sort of thing. Well, you know what? Again, don't take my word for it. Look at the, what the scripture says, Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember, this is about how they wandered through the desert. Remember how the Lord your God led you all by the way in the wilderness these 40 years. <laughs> uh, my wife gets upset if I'm driving and um, don't ask for directions after like a couple, couple minutes, right? It's 40 years Moses is wandering. Hey, shouldn't we stop and ask somebody for a direction? It's a, it's, I know where I'm going. Right? No, look why. He did it to humble and test you. 40 years? Are you kidding me? You had generations of kids asking, are we there yet? <laughs> the reason why God let this happen this long was because he was testing them in order to know what was in your heart. 
right? To see what was in there, whether or not you would keep his commands. James 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, first of all, that just seems ludicrous, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when your NFL team wins, right? Any amens? That's what I would think it would say, but it doesn't say that. It says consider it pure joy when you face trials. That's crazy. Here's why, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And last one, and I could have put two dozen more of these up here, but 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Well, why? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, right? You see past tense? It's been tested and it's been proven what? Genuine is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? When the kingdom of God arrives. Right? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, is he going to find faith? Don't... Oh, quit praying. 40 days is a long time. And you know what God's going to do? He is going to test your faith before he answers your prayers. And it's going to be difficult. And i got to say to you the same thing Jesus says. Don't give up praying. Don't stop praying. Because if you hang up the phone, there's no one else to call. He is your maker. He is your designer. And it doesn't mean that you stay on the line because eventually he'll answer. But it does reveal where your faith lies. Remember Hebrews 11? All these guys commended for their faith, but not a single one received what was promised to them. All right, last thing I want to show you before we conclude uh, in verse 8 also. Uh, he says, see, see to it that they will get justice and quickly. I simply want you to recognize that this is left open-ended. That's quickly according to who? Yeah. So make sure that you hold on to the promise he will see to it without you being the one that defines what quickly looks like because i promise you this in the face of eternity the time you and i have to wait to hear from god is a snap jesus wants to see your faith jesus wants to see your faith so here's my here are my conclusions number one is this you need to learn to be vulnerable when you pray not not one that i picked out too much on my observations but the first conclusion, nonetheless, is that when you pray to God, you need to be somebody who's vulnerable to God. Don't be pretending with God that everything's cool. Uh, I don't have anything to pray about. I'm fine. There ain't nothing going on. Usually guys struggle with this more than ladies, right? Any amens from the guys? Come on, be honest. You've got to learn to be vulnerable with God. You got to get real with God. And if you're faking like a tough guy, trying to make sure nobody knows I got any problems, guess what? God knows and you know. Get vulnerable with him. Get real with him. Look at this lady. Uh, she's coming to the judge. She's shameless. I don't care he's the judge. I'm going to him. Right? When is she going to him? Constantly. She's shameless on this. She's being vulnerable. She's putting herself out there. Look at verse 7. When Jesus now relates this to his chosen ones. His chosen ones who what? Who cry out to him day and night. You can't be a tough guy with your prayers. 
You're not impressing anybody by being a tough guy with your prayers. You're looking more like the Pharisee who was like, remember from two Sundays ago? I thank you, God, that I'm not like these blah, blah, blah. God's not listening to that. There is a right and a wrong way to pray. And part of the right way of praying is praying with vulnerability. Best way I can illustrate this is when we interact, a uh, difference between an acquaintance or a stranger and, a, and a, a dear friend, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You come to church and someone's like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm good. How you doing? Right? And then you see somebody who, who knows you and they're like, how you doing? And you're like, <laughs> Right? Because you can get real with that person. Don't try to play God off like he's a stranger. Don't try to play God off like he's just an acquaintance. He knows you like a dear, dear friend. At my dad's memorial service in Iron Mountain, uh, two of the missionaries from the Bahamas flew all the way up. And I'm shaking hands with everybody in the line, and, and they're all like our deepest sympathies. I'm like, oh, thank you for coming. Right? Yeah, it's nice that you're here. And then I saw these guys, and I just broke. Because that's where my heart really was. God wants to hear from you in a real way, not in a pretend way, not in a fake fashion. We need to learn to be vulnerable with God. He's got big enough shoulders. Treat him like a friend. Number two is this. Your practice of praying to God is directly proportional to your faith in God. I want you to notice in verse 8. <clears throat> However, when the, son, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Did you notice it doesn't say, however, if the Son of Man comes. It's not if he's coming. It's when he's coming. Church, he is coming again. Are you going to remain on hold? Because if you don't, if you, if I'm just done praying, there's no one else to go to. And he is returning. The question is, your continuance, your perseverance in prayer, will it reveal your faith? Or does it reveal, I got strawberry syndrome. I just need to get my answer. I just got to look somewhere else. Your practice of praying to God is directly proportional to your faith in God. How quick do you pray? That's a good measure of how spiritually mature you are. Right? What's it take before the circumstances of your life get you on your knees? Before you've exhausted all the other options? Man, I tried to fix this every way. I can't fix it. Yeah, I better pray. Get my spare tire out. Right? Your continuing in praying is directly proportional to your faith in God. Don't ever give up on your faith. And understand, like I already mentioned, it's not faith that he will answer. Right? That's not what it is. It's not faith that if I just, if I just hold on long enough, if I just muster enough faith, then I'll really bend God's arm and make him do what I want. That's not what it is. It's your faith in that he is the one that I turn to. Whether he answers or not, he is the one that I turn to. Whether it comes right away or 40 years later, he is the one that I turn to. My faith is in him. When all the disciples in Jesus' time, and he, he turns the crowds away because they just want food, right? Which is crazy. It's a whole other sermon. But uh, he turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You 
have the words of eternal life. There's no one else to go to. So your practice, your discipline, the way in which you approach prayer in your life, it will reveal directly one-to-one proportionality to how much faith you have in God. All right, finally is this. Hold firm to and carry the kingdom of God as your priority in prayer. I can't ignore that the context around Jesus' command to pray and never give up was around the coming of his kingdom. And we don't think like that much today. What if God were to show up today? How would your prayer life change? (laughs) What if God, I mean, it'd be crazy, but were to walk through that door right now and show up right here. Would you still be praying about the things that you're praying about today? I'll tell you, my, that challenges me because a lot of the things that I feel like are really important matters in my life, these, these urgent things, suddenly melt when I think the kingdom of God arrives. And you know what? Maybe I need to begin to hold to and carry that perspective through my prayer life. Maybe I need to see things through God's perspective and not always through my own lens as to what I'm facing. Jesus shares this prayer or shares this purpose, this parable that you need to continue to pray because he's saying the kingdom of God is coming. So we need to make sure that we hold to the kingdom of God. Here's what that means. Hold firm means don't let the concerns of this world outrank the concerns of the next. Right? Holding firm to means don't let the concerns of this world outrank the concerns of the next. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? We looked at it last week. He says, Lord, I I ask that you will take this cup from me, right? Because this is what he's facing right here and right now. But then what does Jesus say? Yet your will be done, not my own. He makes sure that when he's praying for the concerns of this world, what he's facing, he's not letting that trump or offset or replace or outrank the concerns of the kingdom of God. So you've got to hold firm to that. And to carry it means that we endeavor to reclaim this world and our role in it for Jesus' glory. So when you pray, you ask that God would use you to bring his kingdom here. Uh, in fact, you already did that this morning. Do you remember? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy. There it is. See, we, we don't quite recognize that, but that's the essentialness within prayer. You need to hold to the kingdom of God. And it changes how we think. Like if Jesus, if, if Jesus were to return today, I would think, I, I've got to pray for a ton of things now, right? Because it's here. It changes how I think. We need to begin to think with that perspective when we go in our prayer life. Just a question to leave you with as we conclude. What is it that you need to hand over to God? Is there anything in your life That's a hindrance to these things. That's keeping you from being vulnerable with God. That's leading you to trust in something else so that you want to hang up the phone. I just can't wait anymore. Or that maybe you're facing something that feels far more important than his kingdom and his agenda. What is it in your life? I don't know what it is. But I want you to search your heart. And if you can identify that, I want you to pray this simple prayer. Lord, help me to hand blank over to you. Whatever that may be. I want to conclude this morning with a a paraphrased quote from Miles Sanford. 
in his book called uh, Principles of Spiritual Growth. <laughs> I read this in college and it has stuck with me my whole life. It says, when God wants to make an oak tree, he takes a hundred years. When he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. And I added this. When he wants to make a strawberry, he takes six weeks. Sometimes it takes God a while. Because he's not just working on the exterior. He's working on you as well. The question is, what is God making you into? You can be a strawberry world. You want it now. Or a squash. You can wait a little bit longer. Or is he turning you into an oak tree? 